Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll be in verses 24 through 27. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and one of our leaders will be happy to hand you one. If you like taking notes, I've titled this message, Chasing the Crown. Chasing the Crown. What we're largely going to talk about tonight is our motivation, our motivation for pursuing God and reaching the lost. I think a lot of Christians can lose sight of their motivation for why they're even here in the first place. It's easy for all of us to lose track, especially in the summer. You get so busy, distracted, etc. But you're all here. You got Bibles. So why not talk about the thing that Paul was most passionate about? So here in his own words, Paul the Apostle writes to the Corinthian church. And remember, the Corinthian church, messed up church. They were doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And if you, I bet you, if we walked into the Corinthian church, half of us would be like, oh my goodness, are these people even saved? But Paul thought they were saved. And he wrote to them, exhorting them. And sometimes, just to be honest, we can approach other believers and completely approach it the wrong way when we see them doing crazy stuff. Instead, we should be exhorting them, reminding them of what we're here to do, reminding each other of our purpose, our calling. That's why we gather on our Friday night. The reason why you're here isn't just because, like, you got nothing better to do, maybe, but we're opening up the Bible because every single time we open up this book, there is the potential for our lives to be changed forever. Ask me how I know. Ask me how the rest of the leaders know. Because it happened to us. Like Joe will tell you, his testimony is pretty crazy. He was on a Mexico mission trip, and like God just like met him. And then he was changed forever. I remember like, I don't know if you, know, if you guys know this story, but I'm not going to like embarrass him now. But I remember thinking about Joe Fisher, because Joe Fisher was like the bad kid. And I was on the Mexico mission trip. It wasn't my, I was kind of like half taking over the trip from Andy Dean when he was turning it over. And so I knew Joe had kind of like backslidden. To be honest, I probably wouldn't have asked him to go on the trip. He probably would, like, I would have had the criteria of, like, spiritually discernment, you know, need to make sure you have a relationship with Jesus, et cetera, to go on the mission trip. But he was in, so I was like, okay, well, I guess that's fine. So I remember thinking, how do I approach Joe? Because he probably isn't a Christian. How do I talk to him on the mission trip? So I was thinking, maybe I'll talk to him about his brother. Maybe I'll talk to him about his family. I had, I had no idea. So... He was painting, and I was like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk to him and just, like, ask him how it's going, ask him about his family. So I go up to Joe. I'm like, hey, Joe, so, like, you know, like, what's going on? How's your family going? He's like, oh, they're doing great. Oh, by the way, I'm a Christian now. And, like, my life has changed forever. And he started telling me about, like, how God met him through the book that we were reading and stuff. And I was like, oh, I didn't have to do anything. That was pretty cool, you know. But the fact of the matter is Jesus Christ changes people's lives. That's why we're here. And that's what we've come to study tonight. So First Corinthians chapter 9. Read verse 24 with me. It says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or controlled in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus. Not with uncertainty. 
Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we pray that you would speak to us through the power of your holy word, that we would be able to understand what your will is for our lives today. We pray, Lord, that we'd be inspired, we'd be passionate, and that we would leave here changed people. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Paul here is talking about the context is reaching unbelievers. And so Paul describes the Christian aim, the Christian mission, like a race. He describes what we do as Christians to reach other people that are lost, that don't know God, as we are competing in a race. That's how he viewed himself. Now, if we kind of strictly look at some of the things that he listed, we might look at this as kind of like like self-flagellation, trying to beat yourself, right? He, He kind of talks about like, I beat my body into subjection, I discipline myself, all these different things. And you're like, oh man, that sounds kind of like some different religions, they believe that like, you need to beat on yourself or starve yourself or do these different things so that you're closer to God, you're more holy, etc. That's not what he's talking about. He's like, the reason why I say no to some things is because I want to win the race. Just like an athlete is training himself and saying no to certain things to prepare himself for a race, Paul the Apostle says, I'm actually going to say no to some things And actually train myself on other things so that I'm able to maximize my potential here on this planet and use my life in a way that glorifies God and reaches other people. Now, as he's writing this to the Corinthian church, what's important to know is the city of the Corinthians was a center for something called the Isthmian Games, which was second in prestige to the ancient Olympics, according to David Guzik. So... As he's speaking to this culture that would be very familiar with competition, athletics, I think we also can relate with, obviously, a lot of you are into sports. A lot of you are into being competitive with other people in academics or other things. And we understand what that's like. And in every marathon, there are different types of runners. Every single race that you run, there are different types of runners. There are sprinters. There are people that they start off really strong and then they tire out easily. There's also the walkers, the slow, the out of shape people that are really just in it for the t-shirt. There's the trained athletes, the people that like, you know, these people have been like born to run this race and they got like, they got everything, right? They have the special shoes. They look like, you know, they were carved out of like marble or something. And then there's those people in the middle. The people that are like, eh, well, I don't have to, like, win as long as I'm not last. I'm just, like, in the middle. So my, my school, uh, when I went to high school, we had 732 people over to high school. And I graduated, I think it was 334. So pretty much right in the middle. And I was okay with that. I mean, why try harder than you have to, right? As long as you kind of, like, you're better than most people, that's okay with me. So let me ask you this question. What type of spiritual runner are you? What type of spiritual runner are you? Are you the person that sprints and then you're like, I got this. Yup, totally. Yup, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to pray for like an hour every single day. It's going to be awesome. You do that for like a day 
And you do that for like maybe five minutes. And you're like, oh, this is exhausting. I don't know if I can do this. And then you tire out easily and you kind of just fade away. Or maybe you're a walker. You're a person that's just kind of like, Psh, I mean, I'll say that I'm a Christian, but really, I don't want to be like legalistic. I don't want to be like those people that are kind of like, they're nerds, they're Jesus freaks, whatever. So as long as I get to heaven, I'm fine. Are you a trained athlete? You're a person that got it. You're passionate. You're motivated. Or are you somewhere in the middle? You're not like sold out for Jesus, but you're also not like a carnal Christian. You're just somewhere in the middle. What type of spiritual runner are you? Well, Paul the Apostle is, is appealing to us to be running with all of your might, to be a champion. He actually says what? He says, don't you know that all of us who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Therefore, run in such a way that you may obtain it. He doesn't say run in such a way that, you know, like your best friend obtains it. He says you, you should be running to actually win this race. Now, to be a champion, to be the person that wins the race, you need a couple things. The first thing we're going to go over is motivation. Motivation. If you want to win a race, you need motivation. In other words, you should be giving God your best. Your first fruits, the Bible talks about. The first thing that comes out of your life. Your best, your all. Just like if you're in a relationship, you want to give that person your all. You don't want to give them leftovers. You would want them to feel like they're the most special person on the planet. You would not treat that person like you treat everybody else. Because you want to make them special. And so we should have our relationship with God. But maybe you're asking the question, well, what's the point of running with all of your might, especially if you know that you're not going to win? Only one receives the prize, so why should and I think what this leads to is what? A fear of failure. Fear of failure. It's almost like if you want to train um, in basketball, become better at basketball, and then you have like a pro basketball player, you know, coming at you, and you're training with him, and you're going one-on-one, -on -one, and you know there's no possible way that you're going to win. No possible way you're going to win this, this special basketball player. And so you're thinking, well, what's the point? Why should I even try if I know I'm going to lose anyway? And maybe there's people in your life that you're like, those people are the spiritual ones. And I'll never be as spiritual as them, so what's the point of me trying to be spiritual? It reminds me of Exodus chapter 14 when the people of Israel were leaving Egypt and they were trapped at the Dead Sea. And as Pharaoh and his cronies are chasing after them, the people of Israel look at Moses and, and they see the sea in front of them. They're trapped. And they say, have you brought us out here just to die? What's wrong with you? In other words, what they're saying is that it's better that we don't ever try than try and fail. Maybe that's how you live your life. That you think, well, what's the point? If I'm just going to fail, then what's the point of me even trying? I remember when I was trying to train for some competitions for rock climbing a number of years ago. And I hate running. I can't stand it. I'm sorry, like, some of you that run, it's a gift. You should keep doing that. But I just, I don't have any motivation to run. I usually don't have, if I go like a regular gym and try to lift weights, I don't have any motivation to lift weights. I don't at all. Because you, like, lift for, like, 10 reps, and then you're thinking, like, I'm probably done. But you me, I need something as a greater motivation than those things. Those things are great. You should do those things. I'm just saying I have not been motivated to run. But when I was training for a competition a number of years ago, I said, okay, I'm going to start running. 
And it was embarrassing. I am not a runner. I was panting and my heart rate was going up. I think I developed heart palpitations, as embarrassing as it is, from trying to run. And so I remember the whole thing about running for me is at any point, you could just stop. You're thinking, why am I doing another lap? I'm like perfectly fine. I'm per perfectly content. I would say I probably burned a lot of calories and that is enough for today. That's how I felt. But here's the other thing I found. While I'm running, I'm panting. I hate it. I'm not happy. As soon as there's somebody else running the other way or walking the other way, suddenly you got to like hold your breath. You're like, look really good. You're like, how's it going? Right? Because you don't want people to look at you and say, that guy looks miserable. And some of you are always afraid of people looking at your life and seeing failure. Some of you are afraid of what people will actually think if you posted pictures, not of your best moments, but of your everyday moments. Not even your worst moments, just everyday life. What does everyday life look for? Your name that's like probably not here. What does everyday look like every average show? Maybe for you, it doesn't look as flattering. It doesn't look as good, and you're afraid of people seeing that. But here's the thing. Maybe, like when I was running, what you're doing in your Christian walk is running on adrenaline. You're running on adrenaline. And what happens is the only reason why you're still serving, the only reason why you're still reading, the only reason why you're still here at church is just because you're so afraid of people seeing you fail. Maybe that's you. And you're like, well, I'm going to keep on showing up because I don't want people to call me and bug me. I'm going to keep on reading because I'm afraid of my youth pastor asking me if I read this week. But listen, that is not proper motivation. That is not proper motivation because here's the thing. If that is your motivation, you just don't want people to see you as a failure, you're always going to do the bare minimum in order to make people happy. So what could possibly motivate us to go all out? I'll give you four motivations. Four motivations. The gift, the giver, the guarantee, and the goal. The gift, giver, guarantee, and goal. We'll talk about the first one. The gift. The gift. So what is the gift? Well, look at the, uh, look at the verse. In verse 25, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. What Paul is saying here is the crown, the prize, the thing that we receive is imperishable. It can't be touched by decay, by rust, by time. And people try so hard for things that ultimately don't matter. People try so hard to get a piece of paper, a diploma, to get an award, to get a trophy. That ultimately, like if you wanted to, you could go online, you could look up trophy stores, and you could buy your own trophy. You could. But nobody wants to like buy their own trophy. They want to have earned their own special. But why does that matter? Like that person's going to die. All of us are going to die. So why does that matter? And people will, will sweat. They'll shed blood. They'll cry all over something that's so futile. But this is where the Bible says, store up your treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust and thieves can't touch it. That's the whole point. That God has for you, whenever we are trying with all of our might, whenever we're pursuing the Lord with all of our heart, none of that is ever wasted. There will always be a gift that nothing on this planet can ever touch. Now also, 
Another motivation is the giver. The giver. So who's the one who gives the prize? Jesus, right? Jesus Christ has, has not only a prize in store for us in the future, but he also pursued us with all of his might. Isn't it true? That we were bought at a price. So ask yourself, does your Christianity cost you anything? Because it actually costs Jesus Christ his life to pursue us. Now, maybe you've never had this happen before, and maybe you have, but one of the most painful things to go through is unreciprocated love. To love somebody with all of your might, to, to care about somebody, to show someone that you care, and for them not to reciprocate it. That's painful. It could be a parent, it could be a friend, maybe some person in your life is making poor choices, and you're trying your hardest, show them that you care, turn away from your sin. Don't go down that road. And they just against you. But listen, Jesus Christ, despite the fact that the entire universe was against him, he came into this planet and died for us while we were still sinners. That's true love. This is why the Bible says to love your enemies as yourself. It's easy to love people that love us back, but to love people that hate us, that's something that can only happen through supernatural means. Understand that we were enemies of God, and yet Jesus Christ came down and he died for us. And he, he died at our hands, in fact. Now, if I told you, love people, and you should, because you're a Christian, you should love people. No one really loves just because they tell you to do it. But here's the thing. Jesus Christ first loved us. And when we understand that love, it drives us to think about, like, man, if God can forgive me of so much, how could I ever hold other people accountable for what they've done to me? And that love just overflows to other people. Number three is the guarantee. The guarantee. Here's the guarantee. That nothing you ever sacrifice for God is ever wasted. There'll never be a moment that you look back in your life and you say, man, I can't believe that I spent all that time pursuing God. Wow, what a waste. But you will have a lot of things in your life. You're like, why did I go to that party? Why did I talk to that person? Why did I do that thing? You're going to have a lot of regrets in your life about how much time you've wasted because it wasn't for things that are eternal. Now, maybe you have this fear of wasting your time. Like, well, if I do diet, like, let's go back to the analogy of a race. If I do give up certain of these things, like, I'm going to miss out on, like, brownies and donuts and cookies. And, oh, man, it's just going to be so painful. But listen, Understand that any time that you in your race are giving up certain things, that's only so that you can run faster. And we have a guarantee from God in his word that any time that we serve him, none of that is ever wasted. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. All the tithes into the storehouse that there, be me, there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. In the Old Testament, God would say, hey, listen, I want you to give to me your first fruits. Give to me an offering. Give to me a sacrifice. Give to me your food. Give to me whatever it is that's important to you. Give that to me first. Not like God actually needs your stuff. Like God's like really hungry in heaven. He's like, oh, man, I could really use food. Give me a sacrifice. That's not what he wants. He wants your heart. 
He wants to see that you're invested because when you do, he says, listen, when you trust me, I can always multiply what you have. This is like the story of the guy who had a, the little kid who had the five loaves and two fish. He put it in the hands of Jesus and he multiplied it to feed 5,000. And there are things that you invest in, in the Lord. When you invest in the Lord, that he can always multiply it and do much more than if you kept it to yourself. This is where uh, the famous quote comes from Jim Elliott, where he says, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Isn't that a great quote? It's worth memorizing. Keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And then finally, the goal. The goal. The goal is to reach the lost. There are people out there that are hurting, depressed, anxious, going through the life. And listen, they're following an ideology, a religion, a faith system that is not working. And we have the truth. Like, I, I don't just read the Bible because I'm like, this sounds pretty good. You know, I was raised Christian, so I'm going to read the Bible because that's like my faith system. I examined it, and you probably have too. And as you read it, you're like, wow, this stuff actually works, and it's actually true. And then there's people out there that are living under a delusion, under a lie. And you have the ability to help them out. Now listen, if you knew a friend who was really sick, would you go to that friend and say, hey, listen, if you go to the doctor, like, uh, I know a doctor who's going to prescribe things to you. You should go to this doctor. They go to the doctor, and the doctor says, hey, listen, I want you to, like, whatever feels good. I want you to go to, like, a grocery store, and whatever just looks good medicine-wise, go ahead and grab it because that will help you. Like, that wouldn't help anybody, right? Because you want the cure. You don't want to do whatever feels right at the moment. You want to do the thing that will actually make, make you better. And if it's true for, like, minuscule things, the most important question, the meaning of life. And we're talking about, like, the meaning of life is, like, a subjective question. Like, oh, it doesn't really matter what you believe. Like, everyone has a belief system. Go ahead. Whatever feels good, it probably works. I don't think so. I think there has to be a right or wrong answer. And if we actually do have the answer, why not, with all of our might, go out there and tell people, hey, listen, I found the cure. It changed my life. I am not the same person. I was a weird person. And God, I'm still weird. But I have joy inexpressible in my heart. Just, man. It doesn't matter what I go through in this life. Literally, I could have the worst tragedy happen to me. And I hope I don't. But I know at the end of the day, because God has been working in my heart, because I know he loves me, I have this confidence that no matter what I encounter in this life, that God is working all things together for good. You just have this peace that surpasses understanding. That everyone else in the world is faith like you. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, you can have it. Sure. Like, if you want it, all you have to do is believe in Jesus. That's all you need. So the gift giver, the guarantee, and the goal. Something else champions need, not just motivation, but if you want to win the prize, you must have self-control. Self-control. So let's go back to that analogy of a race, right? Not only do you need motivation to win the race, but you also need self-control. And this is what you see in verse 25. Everyone who competes for the prize is controlled or temperate in all things. That's all separate means, self-controlled. Meaning that for these Corinthians, if they were going to compete in the Olympics or the whatever games they're competing in, they would have to abstain from unwholesome food, from wine and sexual indulgence to make it into these games. And they'd be training for at least 10 months. Now for us spiritually, what is it that you have to cut out of your diet? 
What are the things that you have to lay aside? The Bible says in Hebrews that we're to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us so that we can run this race with endurance. Now, back when I was anymore as much, I still like cars in general, but I remember when all my friends were really into cars, you could do two things to make your car faster. You could up the power, you could put more horsepower in your, in your engine, et cetera, turbo it, whatever. Or you could do this other thing, which isn't as cool, but it, like, it would actually work. And you could strip your car of weight. The less weight, the faster your car will go. And so I had a friend who literally would like go into his door jams, take out his door jams, take out like every piece of rubber, every piece of metal in his car. And his car looked so dumb inside. It was so uncomfortable. But he did that so that he could go faster and it actually works. Now, I don't really care that much. But for him, he wanted to win. And for us, there might be things in your life that aren't necessarily bad things. But they're keeping you from God. And it's worth assessing. Donuts? Love donuts. Ice cream? I love ice cream. But if it's going to slow me down, you know what? For a season, it's worth actually putting out. There might be things in your life that are holding you back from serving and following the Lord and all of his riches and all of his goodness. So maybe it's worth assessing. Is there an unhealthy relationship in your life? Maybe you should cut it out. Are you spending time with friends that bring you down? Maybe you should stop that. Just consider it. I'm not telling you what to do right now. I'm just saying, like, assessing your own heart. I don't know your story, but there may be something that you know because the Holy Spirit's convicting you. There's something in your life that's holding you back. And the only reason why you're still holding on to it is because you say, well, it's not bad. It's not really a sin. Okay, but is it holding you back? Is it distracting you? Why not? You'll never know what you have to gain until you let it go. For me, I remember, so like I love, I love music. If I could, I would love to, there's, so I have a number of things I would love to do if I wasn't a pastor. Maybe I'll do these things one day. Um, I'd love to open up my own coffee shop. I'd love to go back to school and study philosophy. And I would love to go rock climb around the world. And I love to do music and like tour with a band. I love to do all those things. So when I was in a band for six years, some of you actually may not know this, which is kind of strange to think about now. I was in a band for six years, and I remember when I was taking this job as a, a first junior high pastor, I knew probably my music career would come to an end. And it wasn't like they told me, like, you have to give up music for God. I just knew I probably would not be able to dedicate the same amount of time to music as I did before. And I was okay with that because the trade-off was, all right, I could do music, go around, and maybe rec be recognized if I make it. Probably not. Probably just be broke and drive around in a van, which still, to me, sounds really cool, to be honest. Like, that's, that, that to me would be so fun if I got, like, one of the church vans, you know, like those E350s, and we just drove around the country and just, like, barely had any money and played shows. That, to me, would be, like, so fun. I don't know why. It'd probably be miserable after, like, the first year or something. But, like, I thought that would be fun. I actually had, so, like, a friend of mine, we, we, uh, we toured, and we, we, we didn't technically tour that much. But we played a lot of shows with each other. And, like, he kept on playing all throughout this time. So he's been playing, what, we started playing 13 years. And he got signed to Equal Vision Records, and his band's doing pretty good now and stuff. And I just think about, like, man, that's dedication. I don't know if I would be able to make it for 13 years playing the same music, you know. But 
The thing is, it wasn't my lane. It wasn't my calling. And therefore, I gave it up. Doesn't mean that I can't play music in the future, but for a season for this time, I had to set it aside, even though I love music. And there may be something that you love that's great, but it's just not God's best. And it's not what he's calling you to do for the season. And so it's worth saying, you know what? Even though this thing's fun, it's, you know, like I love playing video games. It's just not what I need right now. So I'm going to stop. And that's worth assessing and thinking about so that you can obtain what it is that God has for you. So why do we hold on to the weights? Why are we holding on? Why do we refuse to give up those things? Because you listen to messages like this, and here's what you think. He's probably not talking about me. That's what you think. Why do we do that? I don't know. There'd be so many messages. I knew God wanted me to give up music. I knew it. But then I hear the messages, like, it's probably not about me. Probably not. And until, like, God had to definitively tell me in a message that it was my idol. And that's another story for another time. Anyway, some people may not understand the sacrifices that you make. And you have to be willing. Some people will notice that you're not going out drinking with them. And, like, why? Why aren't you drinking them anymore? You're not vaping. You're not smoking cigarettes. You're like, I'm just not doing it anymore. Like, why not? Or maybe you're, like, so radical, so extreme that you don't watch certain movies because you actually want to pursue Jesus. You're like, yeah, you know, that movie, I just really, yeah, I just, I don't think it's going to be edifying. And you use that word to it. Be like, oh, that sounds so gross. Who taught you that word? Did you learn that in church? Right? And you're like, yeah, I did, and I, just, I don't know. I can't really explain it. I just know that in this time of my life, it's something that I'm just going to give up for now. There's a story of a couple, Roy and Kitty Applegate, who are newlyweds that were paying monthly bills of $1,000 a month, and they traded that to paying less than $200 a month for rent, water, gas, and electric. How did they do it? They decided to give up their home and live in a tent. And they did that for over seven months, which is really interesting. So they gave up their home, they lived in a tent, a tent, and they said, you need to decide what's important to you. Are you able to pack up your life, throw it into storage, and say goodbye? I thought it was so interesting because they did this for a purpose. They didn't just say, like, well, we want to be tent dwellers forever. They weren't just, like, weird people. The reason why they did that is so that they could get out of debt and buy the right kind of home. They could stop renting and buy an actual home themselves. So the story goes, according to yahoo.com, the Applegats endured flooding, insect bites, and theft of some of their property, but all the sacrifices over seven months allowed them to save more than $10,000 and make a cash down payment on a three-bedroom house in Burlington, Iowa. Isn't that great? That's a great analogy, isn't it? And here's the thing. A tent is temporary, a house is permanent. And so it is with us that we should be investing in eternal things. Listen to what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. So Understand that when we give up certain things here in this life, even good things, to get the best thing, it's always worth it. So motivation is something that we need. We also need self-control. Here's another thing. We must have focus. Focus. Now, in a race, it's easy to focus on other competitors. 
if you've ever run a marathon before, if you've ever competed with anyone before, it's easy to look at the competition and size them up. So when I'm doing rock climbing competitions, the first thing we all do is we walk in and ask the question, who's here? Who made it? Because at this point, it's kind of like there's only a handful of people that are actually going to make it to the finals and probably win. So you're always looking, and you're always sizing up the competition. And you probably do that too if you, can, if you compete. And you know different schools, and as you visit those schools, you know who's good, you know who's bad. But for us, in our Christian race, we're to focus on Jesus, not everybody else. Listen, you might sit in your small group, and you're, the person in your small group is like, yeah, I had such a great, quiet time with the Lord. I spent five hours reading the Bible and then another five hours praying. And you're like, how do you do anything with your life? Right? And like, I had a great time memorizing the entire Old Testament this morning. And you're just like so discouraged. You're like, I don't think I'll ever do that. That's very possible. But listen, everybody has a different race. Don't focus on everybody else. Focus on Jesus. So since you're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking not to other people, but looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So we're looking forward. We're not looking sideways. We're not looking behind us. We're looking forward to what God has. He's there at the finish line, and we're excited to see him. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, he says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul says. He says, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm running. Don't focus on your, like, where you are right now. Just focus on moving forward. That's it. And he says, I'm letting go of the past. Bad things, good things, looking unto Jesus. That's what I'm focusing on. It's so easy in your life to hold on to past victories, so much so that you have present failures. It's easy to look at what God has done five years ago on that last retreat. You're like, that was an amazing time. God really spoke to me. But can you honestly say that God's been speaking to you recently? And if not, why? If you are not growing, why? It's easy to like default to the verses we memorized 10 years ago. When I used to go to youth group and I knew that my youth pastor would always ask me what I had been reading that week, I would like quickly go to the Psalms and just read a Psalm real quick and I'd be prepared. Like, I'm still in Psalms. Like, you've been, Psal you've been in the Psalms for four years. It's a long book, you know, it just takes a while. So are we making spiritual progression? Once again, it's going back to a race, looking unto Jesus. And if you want to have a miserable race, run your entire race looking sideways. You don't see competitors looking behind them looking to their side, they look forward. Lastly, champions must have determination. Oh, actually, one more after that, sorry. Determination. So we have motivation, self-control, must have focus. Determination is the next one. Verse 26. 
So Paul says, therefore, I run thus. After we talked about everything, you're running to obtain the prize. You're tempering all things, self-controlled, obtaining an imperishable crown. He says, therefore, I run thus. Not with uncertainty. He's not doing it halfway. And you're not running aimlessly. You're not just running to get the t-shirt or the varsity jacket. Although those things are cool. And I always wanted one in high school. I never got one. That's not why we're doing it. We're actually doing it with purpose, saying, like, I think I can win. There's no better feeling than, like, when you're towards the end of the game and you're, like, so close to being like, I think, I think we got it. I think we're actually going to win this. That's an exciting feeling. And he says in verse, the other half of verse, not as one who beats the air. In other words, he's not saying that I'm shadow boxing. I'm not practicing. I'm not warming up. And this is not just a bunch of talk. I'm not just saying these things because it sounds good. And I'm like, the pep talk, motivated, we're going to change the world, world changers, cool, yeah, impact the world. And everybody leaves here and like, oh, let's go back to real life. He's not just making this stuff up. He says, I'm actually going to do something about this. Do you have a set plan on how you're actually going to leave here a changed person? Do you have like a set way to do that? Or is this just kind of like very vague? And you're like, yes, I'm going to leave here and be different. Everything will be different tomorrow. And the way you do that is not, not by doing this. Here's what sometimes happens. You get really motivated. You're like, yes, tomorrow I'm going to wake up at 4. It's going to be great. And then you wake up at 4 in the morning. And you're like, that was crazy. Why did I ever think that? Snooze. Right? That's what happens. Set realistic goals, realistic parameters. There's no need to overcompensate. Sometimes you haven't been in the gym in forever. Everyone know what this is like? You haven't been in the gym in forever. You go to the gym on the first day. You're like, all right, I'm going all out. And you do. And the next day, you can't move at all. It's terrible. There are two things that I hate working out, and everyone should. Legs and abs, right? The worst. Why does anybody? First of all, no one looks at your legs. Maybe you do. I don't think so. I think that's a lie. And abs, it's useless. You can't beat people up with your abs. Why do we care? And you just walk around in pain all day. Get through it, through it, and it'd be fine. But your legs, your day is ruined. Your abs, everything is, you can't laugh. It's terrible. But he's saying here is that I'm not just talking about it. I'm actually putting this into practice. That our actions must follow. Otherwise, we become hypocrites. That if you're saying, I'm going to work it out, I'm going to do my legs, I'm going to do my abs, I don't know why we do this, but I'm doing it anyway. And set realistic expectations so that when you go and you're not motivated, you've made that commitment and you're doing it anyway. Set a realistic goal. J.C. Ryle is an author, and he says this. True holiness, we surely ought to remember, does not consist merely of inward sensations and impressions. It is much more than tears and sighs and bodily excitement and a quick impulse and a passionate feeling of attachment to our own favorite preachers and our own religious party and a readiness to quarrel with everyone who does not agree with us. Instead, it is something of the image of Christ, which can be seen and observed by others in our private life and habits and character and doings. Now, this is where it goes back to the quiet life, that secret life with God. Instead of thinking about how you're going to show off your spiritual muscles next week and have entire books memorized or whatever, just think about this. I'm going to practice the secret. 
I'm going to practice a relationship with Jesus in the secret place. I'm going to just spend time with him. Like, this is the benefit of being a Christian, by the way, is you actually have a relationship with the God of the universe. It's pretty cool. Like, you can talk to him, and he talks back. That's, that's pretty wild. You know, like, a lot of people, whenever people are, like, atheists or they don't believe in God and stuff, I'm just like, okay. Like, we could probably say with probability, probability, okay, if you look out at the world, most people, I think, would say God probably exists. Now, that's crazy. If it's the case that God exists, that is the most interesting, crazy fact in the entire universe, right? Like, even if an atheist is like, well, maybe God exists. That, you can't just say, like, that is crazy. And then if God showed up 2,000 years ago to be like, oh, by the way, this is who I am, that's crazy too. And wouldn't you want to find that out? Now, it's one thing if, like, God never revealed himself. Okay, then we can all speculate and all wonder what God is like. And look at the trees and look at the sky and say, like, wow, that's pretty amazing. Maybe we'll never know who God is. But if God actually showed up in a human being and, like, was like, hey, by the way, I'm God. And he did that 2,000 years ago and he, like, dies. And then he raises from the dead to prove that. That's crazy. And we should, like, know for sure that's not true if that's not true. But if it is true, that's worth telling other people. Hey, like, if something crazy happened in our life tomorrow and someone got hit by a train, right? Like, purely realistic. If someone got hit by a train and miraculously no bones got broken and they, like, came out fine, we would tell everybody that story. If you saw it, you'd be like, that was crazy, right? And that, that can totally happen. But then Jesus Christ shows up 2,000 years ago and just because it's 2,000 years ago, we're like, well, who can really know because it's, like, such a long time ago. Like, that's just being lazy. You should figure it out. Because there are enough people that actually recorded it and wrote it down and put it in, like, four different accounts called the Gospels. And then other people besides that who talked about that, like Josephus and other people that aren't even Christians. And they're like, yeah, that definitely happened. And you should look at that. And that's really interesting. I don't know how I got on that. But determination. You should have determination. Okay, finally. Champions must have discipline. Here's the last one. Discipline. Verse 27, and he says, but I discipline my body. Subjection. Put it another way. He says, we beat our bodies to a pulp and make it our slave. I'm not saying actually beat your body, okay? Don't go home and, like, beat yourself up. I will get in a lot of trouble. Don't do that. He's saying, do what it takes to shake yourself up. What I noticed is people are kind of like cereal boxes, in that they'll settle unless they're shaken. Just think about it. It's true. We need, I know that was bad. What's really sad is I made that up. Like, I didn't look that up. I just made that up. So, but it's true. Look at your life and say, am I getting comfortable? Because if I am, like, that's a warning sign. That's how you start, like, falling out of shape. As well, you're just, like, lazy, comfortable. You're not doing anything to stretch yourself. ourselves because... Jesus is worth it, and other people are worth it. So let me give you a couple training tips. Training tips. Number one, find someone who can push you. Ideally, someone who's, like, at the same level as you. So a peer. A person, you're like, you know what? I haven't really been reading that much. Would you want to read with me maybe a chapter a day or something? Like, sure, yeah, I'll hold you accountable. It's always helpful anytime you're training for something in general it can be discouraging if there's someone who's, like, so much better than you and they're training with you. Like, you make that look easy, right? 
It can be discouraging, but find someone at the same level. And number two, don't sprint. Gradually build up endurance. Just like we talked about, you run into the gym and you totally kill yourself. Don't do that. Gradually. Tomorrow, do something simple. Pick one thing. I want to start my day, not check my phone, read a psalm. Easy. I want to, every single day, I want to read one chapter of the Bible. One chapter, that's it. Easy. Do something simple. I want to pray for five minutes every single day. I'm telling you, five minutes is a long time when you pray. Super short, anything else, when you pray, five minutes can be an eternity. I, I never have as many good ideas and reminders of everything I forgot to do. All right, I got the next 10 minutes to pray. And as soon as I, I start praying, I'm like, oh, I forgot to do that. Forgot to do that. Wow, that was really productive, except for the fact that I didn't really pray. It's easy to get in that habit. So don't sprint, gradually build up endurance. Because if you just have a lot of hype and excitement in the moment, you're going to burn out. You're going to get tired. So the second half of 27 says, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now, Paul is not talking about salvation, okay? He's not saying that by being this hypocrite, possibly he might become so spiritually flabby that God doesn't love him anymore, and then he dies and goes to hell. But he's talking about like being on a boat in a bad storm. He's talking about, I don't want to fall off the boat. I don't want to find myself in such a place that I'm last in line. I still make it. I still finish. But I don't want to be a person that misses out on the reward. And there's such reward in being able to seek the Lord. There's reward in being able to pursue his things, pursue his kingdom, pursue other people, and know that you had a lasting effect on somebody else's life. That's amazing. And I get to see it sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. I'm like, man, that was really cool. I actually helped somebody. And then people thank you. Like, thank you because what you said to me actually made my day. What you said to me actually changed my life. You're like, really? I didn't really say much. But it's pretty cool. So what Paul is saying is, I'm not going to be a spectator. I'm actually going to participate. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that I win. So in conclusion, everything we talked about tonight. Remember, these messages can easily be twisted into like, you should work harder. Look at all you spiritually flabby people. You think that you're a Christian. You make me sick. Right? It's like easy to do that. That's not what we're talking about. It's somebody who has gone before us and has seen the reward. And is just telling other people, man, it's pretty awesome. When you decide to train yourself, dedicate yourself, you feel good afterwards. No one feels, oh, I mean, I don't want to say no one. If you're a person who doesn't train at all and walks and gets a t-shirt, maybe you feel good about getting the t-shirt. Maybe, okay? But to know that you tried your hardest, that's the best feeling when you're competing. Maybe you don't always win, but to know that you gave it your all and you did your personal best, that's always a good feeling. And why, why miss out on that? So this is not a message of, this is a message of, remember, Jesus Christ has already obtained the victory for us. He's already done everything you need to enter into the life of godliness, of hope, of salvation. He's done all that for you. All you have to do is say, like, yeah, I want to walk in that today. It's been said that this is kind of like Christianity is not about you winning a race so that you, like, go to heaven, don't go to hell. It's all about, like, victory laps. Jesus Christ passes on the baton, and all we do is do the victory laps. Since he has done all for us, 
to just look at him. And listen, if you're losing that motivation today, if you're a person who's been discouraged, you feel like you've been going through a dry season, the best thing to do is just remember, I'm here to meet with Jesus. And whenever you do, that's like the most amazing thing. You just fall in love. And when you fall in love, it's exciting. So I can say that the times that I decided, uh, last let me let me rephrase this. There have been a couple times in my life that I can say that I decided to do some like personal changes to the way that I did my devotion time, prayer time, etc. And those times are like so fun. No one told me that I had to. No one told me like, hey, you really should like study your Bible differently or like pray differently or whatever. No one told me this. I just said, you know what? And I wasn't even working at the church. I wasn't a pastor. But I said, you know what? Just for fun, I'm like open up the Bible and see if I can like memorize certain things or like learn about certain things just because just I want to. And those are like some of the most fun times of my life. The most fun times reading my Bible is just like opening up and saying like, all right, Lord, well, no one's making me do this, but I kind of want to do it. And that is possible for you too. Just set aside the time and saying like, man, I would like to see what riches, what goodness God has for me. So let's pray.